Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Power, the reliable, quick, and scalable EV charging solutions for everyone and everywhere. And StarCharge, the largest EV charging manufacturer in the world and is also a provider of residential and commercial battery storage. Hello and welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I'm your host, Francie, and here we talk about everything electric vehicle and electric vehicle adjacent. Thank you for plugging in with us today. I am joined by Nathan King, CEO of the Brooklyn-based startup It's Electric, who provide charging access to city drivers, and they provide a curbside charging charging bollard that features a detachable charging cord. So really interesting offering that we can see an emphasis on the importance of this as we diversify the charge infrastructure in the U.S. and globally. So thank you, Nathan, for joining me. How are you doing? Are you in Brooklyn? Are you calling in from headquarters? Yes. Uh, great to meet you. And I'm, I'm really excited to be here because I'm also an out-of-spec uh, loyal listener. And it's a great way to sort of keep up what's going on in the industry. And so this is sort of like looking into the mirror and sort of, you know, seeing, um, yeah, the, sort of now I'm sort of on the other side of it. Uh, so very excited to be here. I am in Brooklyn. Um, I have in my background, this is a facility called New Lab, which is in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, where we've been here for a couple of years now. Um, and there's a bunch of other, it's a shared sort of work environment, and there's a bunch of other uh, clean tech and transportation companies here as well. So it's a, it's a great place for us to get started. Mm, nice. I love a good collaborative space that just feeds into the creative, hardworking energy that I'm sure you have going on over at It's Electric. And thank you for listening in, of course, and for you know reaching out to us. I love to highlight stories and uh, work like yours. And I've got to say, I'm excited to speak with you because we know how much pressure there is to expand public EV charging access. But there's uh, been a strong emphasis on DC fast charging when level two charging will really be the key, the the big numbers that make it possible to achieve the electric vehicle numbers that are projected to come on the road in the next decade. And we're seeing that also fast charging issues have been coming up during these mm -hmm. really intense cold weather fronts and how level two charging could seriously alleviate the pressure on the public charging stations, fast charging especially. So before we dive into all of that, though, I want to know a little bit about you. Nathan, can you tell me a bit about how you came to be CEO of It's Electric? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I love talking about myself, so uh, <laughs> uh, but I'll keep it short. Um, so to start, you know, I think the one of the things that's very relevant about how it's electric thinks about EV charging is kind of informed by my my professional background. So I'm an architect. I, I still have my New York State license. Uh, I've been working in New York City for uh, you know over two decades, um, mostly on fairly large projects, um, including hospitals and laboratories. So that kind of order of magnitude. 
Um, and uh, I, I would say that just even kind of going back another step further, one of the reasons I got into architecture was sort of my interest and concern around uh, climate change and uh, issues like energy efficiency and building sustainable cities. Um, you know, and so that that was kind of one of the things that inspired me to become an architect. And it was always sort of part of my career. I got my uh, LEED certification. I don't, maybe not everybody knows what that is, but it's sort of like a, uh, a, a, a certification that professionals can get to um, sort of prove that they understand how uh, sustainability sort of works and how it affects design. And um, there was sort of always an overlay around sustainability to my career. So uh, fast forward, you know, uh, a few years ago, um, my co-founder and I uh, were thinking about ways that we could, you know, my co-founder Tia is also kind of, you know, let's say a couple of decades of experience in the design and technology field. And we were thinking about ways that we could put our skills that would more immediately address some of these issues around sustainability and climate change. And like, what can we do as designers, as architects to move the needle uh, faster? And um, the idea for It's Electric actually came out of uh, this sort of pandemic experience. I live in Brooklyn. I, I'd never owned a car while I lived in Brooklyn, uh, you know, for 20 years. It's very easy to get around New York City without owning a car. But when the pandemic happened, I had a five-year-old at the time. And suddenly, you know, taking the subway everywhere uh, didn't seem like such a, a viable option. And looking into getting a car, realized that um, for us, we don't have a driveway like many, many other people. Uh, in fact, one million people, one million drivers in New York City do not have off street parking. And for what I would have to do is I would have had to drive about a mile away to um, a, a level two charging station that was in a structured parking garage. I would have had to pay for the parking spot. It would have had to walk that mile to there. It's just really like it just didn't make sense. It wouldn't have been viable. And just started thinking about it. And one day I was looking out my window and I was like, well, why can't I just put an EV charger in front of my building and connect it to my power supply, let everybody use it. And though, hey, then I could make money from the other people using the charger. And that's sort of the, that light bulb moment going off. Um, and so the idea just was too sticky. It was too infectious. I managed to convince my co-founder to uh, join, and here I am uh, about two and a half years later um, trying to get this company spun up. That is amazing. I love to hear of uh, the sustainability entre entrepreneurship space because, I don't know, I feel like we can get a little bit jaded, like, well, what are the new ideas that can really come out and make a difference? But when you have one that's sticky like that, and then you have the motivation and team behind it, it's really cool to watch it flourish. So uh, that's very interesting. The you know origin story of the idea comes from your experience, comes from being a, you know, everyday user of this kind of infrastructure and seeing what is missing here. What is the gap that I can fill? Thank you for giving me a little bit of that insight. So can, I mean, I think you have just briefly explained it, but can you tell me exactly what the business model is of It's Electric, what you're doing? Are you selling the chargers, the energy, please? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, so um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll unpack it and unfold it a little bit. The, uh, the basic idea around It's Electric is getting what is the easiest way to put a charger in a city where people can access it affordably conveniently and for us that that led to a, a series of like thoughts well curbside charging is probably going to be the easiest way for people who don't have driveways to find in, in uh, parking spaces they don't have to drive somewhere so we're bringing charging to where people are already parking and giving them that same sort of uh, off-street parking uh, EV experience, right? You plug your uh, car in at the end of the night and you come out in the morning and you have 100% battery and you're not going somewhere to plug your car in and waiting there while it charges and then driving home. Um, so we decided to focus on curbside. And then, you know, looking at the industry, we, we saw what was really kind of happening, uh, even it's still true today, uh, most of the curbside deployments that we see are through utility connected programs. So here in New York City, Con Edison, and, and you guys had a great video on the Flow EV chargers that Con had uh, sponsored. Um, these chargers are all connected directly to the utility mains in the roadway. But I knew from my experience working as an architect that that process is sometimes cumbersome. Uh, it can take a long time. 
and also the the uh, equipment and the construction process to sort of convert the voltage in the roadway to the voltage that you would need for an EV charger uh, requires additional equipment and capital expense. And so the question that we we sort of why can't we just connect it to where the voltage is already there, where you already have power, and that's utilizing and this is the core of its electrics business model we want to utilize that already existing spare electrical capacity that we find in city buildings um, and in that way we have a lot of flexibility about where we can go we don't have this uh, we don't need to put a step down transformer or a host connection box in the roadway uh, we we can have a lot of flexibility you know in terms of the geometry of where we can put a charger and then the other thing that uh, is advantageous about this, what we call a behind the meter model, is that um, we can go in neighborhoods where the electrical grid is already uh, at capacity. And that's a big problem in cities. Um, you know, the, the, we're just adding more and more load to our grid. And we can't wait for the utilities to make the capital investments uh, to increase that capacity uh, while we wait for it at the same time that the EV transition is, is happening. So again, this behind the meter approach, we're just borrowing that spare capacity that that building isn't using. And we pull that out to the curbside. So we skip the interconnection process. We have more uh, availability of locations. And I'll just add one more thing. We then uh, allow ourselves to build sort of partnerships with our host properties. And I, I can talk about that a little bit more as a, as a separate topic. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting. I know how much of having worked in the public EV charging infrastructure place myself, that utilities are just really, they're, they're, they're working pretty hard to yeah. adapt and create a value proposition for their customers. They're always thinking about the customer too, but it is a huge uh, investment, time, effort, money, energy, literally to get energy where it needs to be in these neighborhoods where they should just be as much prioritized, especially if we're looking for avoiding the problems that we've seen with congestion or, you know, not enough accessibility to these uh, EV chargers. So, I mean, I'd love to speak to the, you, you talked about this a bit, but the barriers that you see, and I know that you identify like on your website, time, design, cost, equity, and grid. And um, maybe you could speak to those a little bit especially the most surprising one that you found through your research and development in building out its electric of, I mean, there might've been some clear, this is a barrier I've experienced myself. I can research about it, but maybe what might've proven the most surprising obstacle. Well, I think the most, yeah, that, that's a good thing. That's a good question. The, for, for me, the most surprising obstacle, um, and, and this is, uh, I think, um, it, it might not get at exactly what you're asking, but we just don't see a lot of interest or conviction around expanding access to EV charging in urban areas. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, partially, I think, due to, you know, social sort of conditions, right? The, the way that we think about EV charging in the U.S. is like, well, people have range anxiety. They they want to, they have this belief that their cars provide them freedom and, and they don't want to, they, they're worried about being stranded somewhere. And so the way that we built out EV charging in this country was really focused on that sort of intra-city uh, uh, problem first. Uh, but when you look at uh, the EU and the UK, they did it very differently. And, you know, again, you, you guys have covered a lot of this, um, but the, there was really kind of a city's first kind of approach or at least they thought about the cities at the same time they thought about that sort of that regional travel. And it just it's just a different way that we approached EV charging in this country. And I still think today that we, we don't see the same kind of attention around urban charging infrastructure that we see around this, this problem of, of range anxiety and, and making sure somebody can drive across country. Um, I, it's not an either or for me. Like I also wanna be able to drive across the country when I need to. Um, but what, you know, what we sort of say, instead of range anxiety, what we see in cities is access anxiety, uh, just where like people don't know where they can find any charger. And so that is kind of still, I would say the biggest, it's just that level of interest in how people think about it. And I think even today, like trying to convince different stakeholders that you need to build out EV charging access is still kind of something that hasn't kind of seeped through. People still think like, oh, we're just going to switch over the gas stations to EV charging stations. But we don't quite yet understand that like, well, 
we're not, it's not that simple. You know, the, the utilities don't have the capacity to build thousands and thousands of, of e DC fast charging stations in our cities. And so I think that, that that's probably where I would put that sort of biggest surprise and biggest barrier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you did reference that uh, there are other countries and regions in the world that have approached this differently, you know, even perhaps sooner. And I was, this takes me to a question that I thought I was going to ask later, but I'll bring it up now. But uh, of course, I'm sure you take inspiration from a lot of places, but I have seen this kind of similar model implemented in European countries. And do you do you tend to, you know, they have different regulations and perhaps different but similar customer behaviors, but have you taken inspiration from, or where are you taking inspiration? Have you taken it from other countries or other success stories or maybe learned lessons from them first so that you don't have to learn it at It's Electric? Yeah, I, and, and this is a fun kind of getting into the weeds part of the, uh, part of kind of what we think about, but um, you guys are out of spec, so uh, I'm sure your listeners might be interested. But one of the reasons um, that we see more success in urban charging in the EU and the UK has to do with their, their voltage. So the baseline voltage in the EU and the UK is, is, is like 220, right? Um, and so that's what all of their, what they call, what we, what they call, what we call our accessory utility feeds. So when you're looking at a street, you've got the main utility line that feeds the buildings. And then off that line is what we call the accessory feed that feeds the light poles and the traffic signals and, and things like that. Um, so in the UK, that's all 220. So tapping into that accessory utility line and getting a level two charger um, isn't as big a deal as it would be here where everything is 120. And now you have to figure out how to get that higher voltage to get a level two charger at that location and connect back out to that main utility main in the roadway. And so now you're talking about kind of a different level of interconnection. And so one of the things that we, we sort of realized is that, um, well, again, the, the sort of the place that you can find a, a 220 or a 240 volt uh, voltage is actually just in the building next to the curb. So there was sort of a little bit of a different way to think about it. I'll say one other thing that we kind of took away from the European, by the way, I, I should say too, the curbside charging market in Europe is, is you know, very much more developed uh, in the EU than it is here. Um, you know, just in just in the city of London, there are about uh, at, at probably at this point, there's about 7000 curbside chargers just in the city of London, um, you know, across Europe. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't always have great data on individual countries, but there's at least 40,000 curbside chargers across the EU and the UK. Uh, in the US, um, we have probably, you know, less than still less than a thousand curbside chargers across the entire country. So we're pretty far behind, and our market, I, I think, is about three times larger than the EU. So um, we've got a long way to go still, and but we can look at the EU and the UK. We're like, wow, you know, they if they are five years ahead of us, that's where we need to be in this country over the next half decade. We need to get you know tens of thousands of chargers in the ground. That's true. Yes, I've I've looked at the numbers, and it is a lot of chargers to meet a lot of EVs on the road. And I think we can take inspiration from other models in other areas, and uh, yeah, learn from them. So really interesting to hear that. And I I, I want to speak a little bit about um, how what your footprint is now. So how many chargers do you have out there? I know you had a pilot in Brooklyn. So um, yeah, what is the picture of its electric numbers right now? So um, we're still a startup, and we uh, we are very happy with the sort of the the traction that we've made in the past couple of years. Um, our first charger went in the ground. Well, let's say our first charger began uh, public demonstration last year in Detroit. Um, that was sort of a prototype model. Uh, it had the detachable cable, but and it had sort of our same form factor. I I have one of our floor models sort of set up behind me, if if you can see in the video. Um, We've since then uh, built uh, six uh, chargers that we've now installed. Uh, six of them are here in Brooklyn. And we uh, just at the end of last year, we installed our seventh charger in Detroit. Uh, so these chargers are up and running. Uh, we have an active driver list. I, last I checked, I think we're around 32 drivers for um, these uh, seven chargers. Um, it's, it's still sort of in the uh, demonstration phase. So it's still it's not generating any revenue. Um, but it does allow us to sort of test out the chargers. And as you might imagine, we sometimes have to uh, track down bugs and solve some hardware issues. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but so far, this has also been a very interesting week here in New York. It's finally snowing after two years and finally getting into some sub-zero uh, or so, well, some sub-freezing uh, temperatures, not quite sub-zero. Uh, so we get to test out some cold weather charging conditions here in Brooklyn as well. And so far, the chargers are running very well. Um, and we've had gr- great feedback and great res- uh, response from our drivers. Um, the uh, uh, the pilot that we started, this was around February that we did the installation. It went live in April last year. Uh, this was funded by Hyundai, uh, you know, Hyundai Motor Company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hyundai is, uh, is, an, is a willing partner with us because they see an opportunity to unlock a market right now that that really no EV company is sort of is having uh, trouble accessing. So these 1 million drivers that we have here in New York City would love to buy uh, an Ionic. Um, that's actually what I drive. Uh, and I, I love it too. And so I think um, expanding access to EV charging in urban areas is, is something that a lot of the different OEMs are really thinking about. Mm-hmm, definitely. I was going, I was wondering because as a startup, of course, I'm sure you're, you know, trying to gauge interest with funding options, of course. And so interesting to hear that one is an automaker, of course. Is there any other, being in the startup world, initiatives that uh, you're a part of or any groups you're a part of to to try to expand your work and either whether that's getting funding or just helping promote your your research and development? We we are um, we're we're pretty prolific in our our different involvements. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that um, the Detroit. So what we're working on now is sort of actively getting our chargers in the ground in Detroit. So we want to expand our footprint in Detroit. Yeah, um, why Detroit? Well, you know what? The, this is a, a story I tell a lot, which is uh, which is interesting. When we built our prototype and when we were working with Hyundai to sort of find a location. Uh, we talked to lots of different uh, potential stakeholders about like where we could host it. And um, and this is a shout out to a, an organization in uh, Detroit called the Detroit Smart Parking Lab. Um, next time you if you're if you go to the Detroit Auto Show, the, they always have sort of parallel events. Um, and they gave us an opportunity to sort of host the charger there. And of course, we were interested in Detroit, too, for other, you know, sort of strategic reasons, like we like the adjacency to the big three. And um, there's, uh, you know, the rest of the automotive industry sort of circulates through, you know, including the uh, tier two providers. And so we thought it'd be great to sort of have a a footprint established there just to sort of, you know, for political reasons, let's say. Uh, But it turns out, like, actually, Detroit and the state of Michigan are very forward thinking about innovation. And um, they were willing to talk to us and work to us, work with us about a pilot. And so uh, at the moment, we've we are leveraging a a grant that we received from the Michigan Economic Development Corporation and also from DTE Energy, which is uh, which is Detroit's um, utility. Uh, and those two grants are sort of helping us fund the uh, the deployment of those chargers. We we actually hired our first full time project manager uh, in Detroit uh, uh, at the start of the year, uh, and so we're we're hoping to get um, our our goal is to get twenty five chargers in before we get to the summer. So check back in on how we're doing on that, but that's what we're working towards right now. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, it seems like you're, you know, as you should when you're in this space, but taking advantage of opportunities for collaboration, for funding, for grants, whatever it is, because of course the space is pretty dependent on subsidies. I mean, it's an expensive place to be in, but also when you're getting started to fund the research. And I'd love to talk a little bit uh, about, you know, it sounds like you're in the MVP stage, the most minimum viable product stage. I mean, probably not minimum at this point, but you're testing, it's you're getting to reach cold weather temps, which of course is really important. Uh, But a bit more about the research behind uh, creating this value proposition for curbside charging? Like what does the engineering look like? Do you, um, I guess there's a lot of questions in here that I'd love for you to address. What is the research and development process? And then in term, when it comes to manufacturing, um, who manufactures your product? Where do you source and what do you consider when sourcing your materials? Yeah, there's so much to talk about here. Um, and, and, and like just off the just your question, like provoked like, you know, six different topics that each could be, so, you know, like, first of all, Curbside charging as a vertical in the EV charging market, I think, is something that's not quite understood in North America. And one of the reasons that we're super excited about it, um, we see a lot of opportunity here because we're we're one of the first companies to really sort of establish a presence in this market. Uh, It's just a different problem to solve than, let's say, putting a charger 
in a parking lot or putting a charger in a structured parking deck. You know, it's there's different conditions that you have to think about. Um, wear and tear, right? The exposure to sort of like uh, potential vandalism, uh, you know, like these aren't sort of in secure locations. They're just out on the street. Um, and so we had to think really carefully about like, well, what what's the best design for a piece of equipment that needs to live on the curbside? And, and what we quickly concluded is that your standard EV charger, pedestal mounted EV charger wasn't going to do the trick. Um, and, you know, we, 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 you guys went over a little bit of this in Paris, the, the lead, um, uh, chargers that they have there. This is kind of what we built our charger around this sort of idea of making something that's very sturdy, very easy to interface. And I think key to everything too, is that it has a detachable charging cable. Um, and that is one thing that is also a little different about us. We, we have this idea that we're connecting behind the meter for a curbside charger is one thing that's unique. The other thing is this fact that, that our, our EV charger doesn't have the attached cord. As far as I know, uh, we're the only company in North America. Um, we're, I can't say that we, we've received the full UL certification, but we are basically at the end of that UL certification process. And we're going to put out a nice press release when we get all of that stuff wrapped up soon. Um, but the, uh, as far as I know, we're the only company that's this far along in the detachable cable model. And again, when I talked about all of those tens of thousands of curbside chargers in the EU and the UK, they all rely on this um, detachable cable model. This seems to be the way to do curbside when you're deploying it at scale. Um, I, I'm going I'm to pause and, and just sort of kind of take it in a different direction. But I, I will say that going back to sort of the idea of my background as an architect, um, you know, EV charging is a transportation problem, but we think of it here primarily as an urban design problem. Um, what is the right thing that you need to see once you've deployed something on the curbside? And keeping it to a minimum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Making it very durable and making it actually look nice these are things that are actually very important. And so we, we very early on, we partnered with, a, uh, with an industrial design company called uh, Billings Jackson. And uh, they are responsible for designing uh, what we call here in New York City, we call it our street furniture. So bus shelters and wayfinding kiosks and things like that. So we very early on knew that we had to uh, partner up and design something that was uh, uh, purpose built for that sort of curbside uh, condition. Very, very cool. Okay. I, I love that. And I think considering the removable charging cord is so important and I think pretty essential in this kind of model, like with the public fast charging, you need a cable available all yeah. the time. But I mean, also just the fact that you're, you're including these adjacent buildings and and I also want to talk about that a little bit. So your solution is that you're using spare capacity that from an adjacent building, an adjacent property, and then you're sharing the revenue from the charger with that building owner. How do you make that connection? And do you consider these these folks, these entities, customers or or partners? Yeah, uh, uh, th that's all great questions. Yeah, the partners for sure. Um, and kind of also going stepping back and tying it into this idea that curbside charging is is a different sort of vertical. Um, one of the things that's dis different about it is its potential for very high utilization. So when you put a charger in a uh, parking lot, you know, let's say near a shopping center or something like that, um, and, and this is in no way to throw shade on this model, this is something that we need, 
Um, but it's hard to see high utilization at those locations because a lot of the times the drivers are, um, they don't need to necessarily charge their battery at that location, especially as our batteries get larger. Um, and so those, it's hard to see high utilization when you have those sort of uh, destination charging or opportunity charging um, locations. Um, and in particular around level two charging as well. So uh, what's different though about curbside is because again, we're bringing the charger to where people are already parking their vehicles. Um, we're not expecting drivers to change their behavior. They're still kind of parking more or less where they normally park. And well, there's an EV charger there. I might as well plug in and, and uh, bring my battery up. Um, we, you know, the, the flow chargers uh, that we have here in New York City um, in quarter three last year reported a 53% utilization. Um, that's very, very high utilization. Um, and uh, in the neighborhoods where utilization, uh, or sorry, where the EV adoption is a little higher, um, you're seeing plus 70% utilization. Um, wow. So the, the, the economics around what we can do and how we can structure our business model is very different than when you're imagining something like a, a putting a charger in a, a public parking garage. Um, and then because we see that high utilization potential, we're able to actually model out like, well, we can actually pay for the uh, equipment and we can pay for the CapEx uh, sorry, the, the hard costs, the construction costs to install the charger. And uh, in that way, there's no nothing, no money coming out of the our, our partner properties or our host properties. Uh, so mm. we do all of that for them at no cost to them. We, you know, what we say is all we need from the host property is, uh, you know, a couple of trips to their basement and uh, permission. And once the charger goes live as a way to sort of lease that um, panel capacity, we offer a revenue share model. Uh, generally mm -hmm. speaking, it's 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 around twenty percent. Depends on the cost of the electricity, but that's our basic business model. Like any other uh, EV charging company, we're going to take the base utility rate. We'll uh, add a premium on it to cover our uh, upfront and uh, operational costs, and we earn revenue from drivers that are paying for that public charging. Uh, the advantage for the, the drivers is that they don't have to invest in their own EV charger. Well, they can't because they don't have a driveway. So we sort of get that charger to them. And that in that way, sort of everybody kind of wins in this scenario. Yeah, really, really cool. Uh, obvious value proposition to, in my in my mind. I can definitely see it. So I'm thinking of, so those are partners where you're getting the energy from, you revenue share. And so then I'm a customer. I drive up. This is my street. I love it that I can charge, you know, just passively. So what is my experience? Do I need an app? Um, how do I use it? And how much does it cost to charge? I mean, I guess it depends on where you are, but yeah. What would be my experience? Yeah. So, and I'll also say that in the markets where we're sort of looking to deploy, um, we we see regulations that make sure that your your an ice vehicle isn't parking there, an internal combustion engine vehicle isn't parking there, so people aren't getting iced out. So here in New York City, you, you'll get a ticket if you uh, park in front of one of those flow chargers. Um, and they're and, good with tickets out there, right? Uh, New York City, I think initially it took them a while to realize that that they could you know uh, issue citations for this, but now that they understand that, it's uh, yeah, we we see. We see in the data that um, icing out has really dropped off of a cliff. Um, it hasn't been mm -hmm. a big impediment to, to utilization for our curbside chargers here. Cool. Um, and then you also have to actively be using the charger too. So you can't just be a, an EV just parked in the space. You have to be mm -hmm. plugged in and actively using the charger. And so in that way, you know, we, we keep that space available to people who really need it. And let's say you encounter an its electric charger for the first time. Uh, we have a, uh, we'll have, we, our charges all have a QR code on them that takes you to our app. Um, our app is, uh, right now it's in the app store, you can find it. Um, and once you have the app, um, you can find your charger on the app and uh, initiate the charge. You know, you put in your credit card information, it kind of works like any other uh, EV charging app. Uh, you put your uh, credit card information and you hit start charge. Um, and I'll say also about the, the, charging cord, there's probably a few things to talk about the detachable cord, but one thing that uh, the EU has going for that, that that is a logistical challenge for us is when you buy an EV, you get 
a type one to type two charging cord um, that comes with the vehicle. Uh, we obviously don't have that here in the US. So we have to get our drivers um, a cord. And mm -hmm. so if you're a first time driver, there's a button on our app that will take you to a, um, to a, basically just a short form. And then we'll basically just Uber messenger you a, a charging cord and we can get that to yeah. you within the first 24 hours or so. So basically wherever we're running a pilot, we'll just have a closet full of these things and we'll, we'll get you the cord that you need. Oh, interesting. So it requires me to have the cord like I would if I were charging in my garage. I would have that cord that I would plug into my outlet or my charger. Yes. Yes, yes. And and it's at the moment it's not something that comes with the the car, but it's something that we'll give to you. And cool. then you sort of keep that cord and then you've got it, you know, in and, and the while we do have this sort of initial operational challenge to get you that cord, um, mm -hmm. First of all, we th we think that the OEMs will start to supply the charger cord with the car with the car th the same way that they do in the EU and the UK because we're we're pretty convinced that this model is eventually going to succeed and as, as far as curbside charging goes uh, and other kinds of public charging. Um, but um, uh, the um, oh, I lost my train of thought here. Uh, That's all right. I I mean, if you can catch it again, but I did have a um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. An, another question too, because when it comes to, um, I mean, we spoke about regulation a little bit, and then like cost of the customer, and I was just wondering if you, in general, I mean, obviously you've done your research, but the pricing we have the kilowatt hour oh, yeah. pricing or the per minute pricing. Do you have is is that specific to um, your sites or across? you know, all of your chargers, or do you have an opinion on it? Because I think there is a little bit of a debate of actually what's fair and what is not fair. And I think it actually can change scenario to scenario. I, I think it's going to be an, it depends. Um, the way New York city has decided to do it is, um, is actually cost per hour. Right. And um, they have a two tiered uh, pricing system where you charge a very low rate overnight. And so it's like a dollar an hour. And uh, during the day, the rate goes up. And so that lets you basically uh, plug in, uh, you know, and do an overnight charge and you're paying $12. Um, that's not bad to fill up a, a battery. Um, during the day, though, if you don't move your car and free up the charger, from, then it goes to $250 an hour. And so there's sort of a built-in incentive to sort of make sure that you keep that uh, parking spot clear. Um, and you're only using that sort of daytime charging for sort of like what you would call sort of like opportunity charging uh, and not mm -hmm. for that sort of routine regular charging. And that, that structure makes a lot of sense in markets where the competition for parking space is intense. Um, Los Angeles and DC, their curbside chargers sort of operate on that model as well. Um, and you know, there's no loitering fees or idling fees. You're just paying whether or not you're plugged in and whether your battery is full or empty like that. That's just sort of how they've uh, structured that pricing model. Um, the price per kilowatt hour, I think makes more sense in areas where the, the, the competition for parking spot isn't as intense. And so I think we'll, we'll probably do kilowatt hour charging in Detroit as opposed to, uh, charge by the hour. Uh, just because we think that people will not have the the uh, such intense need to make sure that that parking spot gets turned over on a regular basis, uh, but we may mm -hmm. have to try different things. Um, I think the 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 it kind of all kind of balances out because you do have to have some sort of idling fee there, otherwise people will just sort of stay plugged in forever. Um, and so we sort of think that um, you know if you do have a kilowatt hour pricing structure, you have to add on the idling fees and it probably amounts to the same thing if you're doing a, a price per hour. Yeah, I definitely think it, um, it, it's important to consider the circumstance and to be able to research what will and won't work best is critical and it might change based on your location. So I, I also want to talk about, of course, if we're talking about accessibility, the North American charging standard, AKA what we're going to call from, you know, probably here on out is J3400. So um, what if you're, I guess it depends. Will it depend on what your driver is driving, which cable you send them? How do you, how is that going to come into its electrics plans in the future? So it's already been uh, great news for us. Um, 
I'm, I'm, and I'll address kind of the recent sort of um, the recent uh, technical information report, the recent TIR from SAE uh, about the 3400 charging standard specifically. But one of the things that even before that came out that we uh, appreciate and one of the advantages around the detachable cord model is that we could be connector agnostic. So actually, I've, you know, this is sort of when you sign up for its electric this is how your uh, charger will come in a nice little it's electric tote bag and we'll depending on if you're driving a tesla or something else we will give you a uh, type 2 to 7 uh, j1772 charger or if you have the nax connector we'll give you the uh, type 2 to um, j3400 so even today, even even before um, we've really sort of adopted, officially adopted the J3400, I don't have to decide, I don't have to prognosticate about where the industry is moving. I don't have to worry about giving drivers adapters. Um, if you're a Tesla driver, I'll just give you the Tesla cord. And if you're anybody else, I'll just give you the J1772. And so it sort of future proofs us a little bit. And it's, it's yeah. kind of a, a nice thing I don't have to worry about. Um, the... J3400 um, issuance was also really exciting for us because it explicitly described the a detachable cable as part of the feature set of a J3400 uh, charger. Um, the old standard, you know, it doesn't really talk about how the um, cable is connected, and you know, the everybody is using J1772 in the EU where things are detachable. Uh, but it was really nice to actually see it sort of spelled out explicitly in the J3400 standard. Um, and, and we think that that's going to be another thing that's going to sort of push the industry into sort of like this bring your own cable or detachable cable model. Hmm. Okay. So uh, very cool. And I love that you know, the more we can be agnostic, I feel like that helps with, uh, you know, just increasing accessibility and equity and access to these chargers. So when you're sourcing these cables, since this was really only, um, something in, you know, like in, Europe is that are you using similar manufacturers to what they're using over there or are there American made uh, materials that you're able to get a hold of nowadays or do you think that's to come that that's that's definitely to come yeah we're still finding these uh these these cables overseas at the moment um I will say that it's all based on the same uh standards so these cables will work here for its electric chargers as well as they will for all of the um detachable cable uh, it's not a proprietary standard, uh, just to right. be super clear about that. Sure. Yes, very clear. And uh, one thing I want to touch on as well is, of course, okay, so we have your partners that are using, you know, you're using their excess uh, energy. You have the customers that pull up and charge. What other collaboration with other stakeholders exists, like municipalities or industry partners that you have to work with to ensure that this is seamless, you know, EV charging experience across different locations? Yeah, that that the municipal partners is definitely a big piece of what we do, um, and that will be true for any uh, company that wants to operate in the on the public curb. And um, what we talk about is how um, sidewalks are always city property. I mean, that's that's city or municipal property, and so to deploy anything on that sidewalk. Um, you do need to have that permission from the city. You got to get a permit from the city, uh, and it's a it's a sidewalk permit. It's different than you know. I, I also like to point out that you have to get a permit to install a charger anywhere you install it uh, from the city. You, you know, there's always going to be some level of review, uh, but there is a, there is an extra step that you have to take when you're in the right of way, and sometimes that uh, extra step can be very complicated, like it is here in New York City. Um, rightfully so, because it's it's a big, complicated market. Uh, but in other places, it's it's much easier and it's much more straightforward process. Um, so, but in all cases, the you know when we think about where we want to deploy and, and what we've really been doing over the last couple of years is we've been talking to different cities and sort of assessing where they see curbside charging uh, on their spectrum of priorities for EV charging. And, you know, we've kind of identified the areas that we think are, are most excited and most enthusiastic about trying it out and, and making sure that we're not trying to go into a market where, um, you know, th this is not something that's that they're interested in supporting. We need to have that sort of early sort of buy in from the cities that we're working with. 
Mm -hmm. You want to go in knowing that you're not destined to fail based on the attitudes or the proactive nature or not that is existing with the municipal partners or whatever it may be. That's definitely key. And it can definitely occur across all the industries and states, cities, regions, and um, organizations. Uh, Do you, you know, with your background in architecture and thinking about shared spaces as well, are there other ways that you think that electric vehicles and curbside charging or EV charging in general will influence city planning and architecture of our private and shared spaces into the future? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, it's one of the things that I actually, that kind of doubles my excitement level when I kind of think about this. um, What we're experiencing right now in this country is just like we are, it's, it's really, it's not even once in a generation. It's, it's once in a, you know, technological epoch transition where we are shifting away from how we fuel our transportation from, you know, this fossil based uh, economy to this electric based economy. And it's it's so different. I don't think we've really kind of grasped what like all of the possibilities that this is going to unlock. And so, you know, just off of the, you know, the the few things that I get really excited about when we look out over the next five to 10 years are the capacity for the EVs, which are going to be a big load on our grid to also become the thing that balances that load. So I'm talking, of course, bi-directional or vehicle to grid charging. Um, you know, at the moment, we don't see a lot of, uh, you know, traction around curbside charging or any traction really for this bi-directionality. When we talk about bi-directional chargers, we're talking about like, you know, the pilots that we see in Texas where people are putting their F1, but those drivers all have their uh, garage and driveway. So, you know, what about these, you know, 40 or 50 million vehicles in the U.S. that don't have uh, off-street? They should be part of this bi-directional charging. And, they happen to be located in areas where that sort of grid flexibility is truly needed. Uh, and so it'll have a sort of a disproportionate impact because where we do see our grid constraints really is in these dense urban areas. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm super excited about is uh, an EV charger is really just a electrical, I mean, you know, again, <laughs> not to denigrate my industry, but, you know, level two EV charging is very simple. It's just a kind of a glorified plug. And, um, but it does have a cell connection and it does have this sort of reliable power source. And so there's other things you can now sort of do to enhance what that EV charger is sort of capable of. And so we think, you know, um, we want to also enable uh, uh, micromobility charging. This is a big uh, problem that we have here in New York City with lithium uh, ion batteries for bike delivery workers uh, catching on fire, it, you know, sometimes very tragically. And so the, the, our, you know, building departments and fire departments are looking to move that charging behavior outside, where if a, a battery fire does happen, it doesn't have a big of impact. And it's a relatively simple thing for us to sort of uh, modify our charger and get a lower voltage charging port on it. And so that's something we've been thinking about and are sort of, you know, it's not available on our current model. But, you know, again, when we look out over the next, you know, two or three years, it's definitely on our roadmap. Hmm. Yeah, that is such um, a good point. You know, we're going to be, there's a lot of safety things to keep in mind and optimization of what we do. And I mean, there's, it's not, I don't think always necessarily expressing doubt about the industry, but like we have not optimized everything. And that means I think personally, instead, that's the opportunity to just be creative and figure out solutions that work and uh, really build this industry up from the bottom, which is, it's really cool to hear about your, uh, your business model, your background, uh, and just, you know, it's electric in general. I'd love to hear a little bit. I mean, you've spoke a little about your next goals with lower voltage charging points, but I'd love to get out to Brooklyn. My, my best friend lives out there actually. So that would be great. But do you have any next goals that, um, both me and our audience can keep an eye on for it's electric? I know like you're still in the startup phases, which is really exciting, hard work you're doing, but what should we keep an eye out for? So I, I, or, you know, I would say in the first quarter this year, there's going to be a lot of exciting um, announcements. Um, I'll say one thing that we are very, um, we're very focused on Detroit right now as being our first sort of pilot city that we get up and running. And so we're, we're hoping to sort of uh, get these, uh, as many of these chargers as we can in the ground. And, and we're certainly going to be making some noise around that as well. Um, 
I'll say also, this is not something that's been public uh, yet. And so we're, we're not really sharing it until our uh, municipal partner is ready to publicize it on their end. But we did win a major city RFP here in the Northeast um, that we're really excited about as well. And so some news will be coming out around that. Um, you know, you asked uh, sort of where our chargers are being built. I do want to say that one of the things that I'm also excited about is announcing our UL certification as well as um, the our first sort of major manufacturing delivery, which will also happen early this quarter as well. So we're going to be taking um, we're going to be taking delivery of about 75 chargers this quarter, um, and that will correspond to sort of us wrapping up our UL certification process as well. Uh, and so that's going to be a lot of noise. And we have homes for, I would say, the, the majority of those chargers at this point. So we're hoping to get all of those installed, you know, before we get through, uh, you know, the second quarter. Um, the the other thing that I'll kind of tease out here a little bit, but nothing I'm, uh, you know, it, nothing that's been made public yet is we have a strong interest in um, the rideshare uh, community. And so we're working on uh, pilots right now that will address the specific needs and challenges around rideshare drivers. Um, here in New York City, about uh, uh, just over uh, 55% of rideshare drivers lack access to off-street parking. And at the same time, these drivers are being pushed into uh, the EV economy uh, much faster than the rest of the general po uh, population. So. Cal the state of California and the city of New York both have mandates for the transition for uh, from gas to electric by 2030. All of them have to uh, comply. Uh, and then, you know, the rideshare companies also have their uh, initiatives to make this transition as well. So uh, we're, we're going to have some announcements around that as well uh, before the before the end of the quarter. Um, and, and that'll be very exciting for us as well. Very exciting. Sounds like you have a lot coming up to, um, you know, stay abreast of, which I'll make sure to do and please reach out um, and, and let me know, but I'll keep an eye out myself. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Nathan. This is a really interesting model. It's been launched in other countries. I think we can definitely do it here and find a lot of value for um, your everyday drivers that need access to not just fast charging, which we know has its own issues, but, you know, level two accessible street curbside charging. So thank you so much for your time and effort. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Francie. Uh, I, this has been great. I really liked our conversation. And uh, once again, I'm really excited to be, as a fanboy, I'm really excited to be part of it. <laughs> thank you so much for for you know contributing to our community we love to build it and um, of course if anyone watching has any curiosities that they'd like to air out in the comments please let us know and i'll do our best to get answers from nathan and the team and if you have you know if you're in the brooklyn area or the detroit area perhaps you can seek out some of its electric it, it's electrics initial works um, definitely. And I hope to see it in person one day myself. I hope you stay warm. I know it's your first snow in a while. I know everyone's trying to stay warm and just beat, beat the really icy cold that's out there. So thank you again so much for coming on to the out of spec podcast and thank you everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time on the next episode. Bye-bye.